Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Happy Friday and welcome back to Indie Game Business. Big shout out to our friends over at um, Tripwire Presents. We had Ash up there momentarily because if you haven't gathered already, it's Friday. Dan is not here. And so I am running this one solo, but I've got Ash helping me. So we're good to go. Um, Our guest today, Masao Kobayashi from Studio Cut to Pieces. Cut to bits. Cut to bits. I was close. We cut you to something. <laughs> <There> was... <laughs> so before we get into you know the plug for the game that you all just announced, why don't you tell us how you originally got into the industry and walk us through your career up to this point? Sure. Uh, so my name is Misao Kobayashi. Uh, I'm the producer and studio manager at Studio Cut to Bits. Uh, we are working on our first title um, that we just announced called Venture to the Vile. Uh, I co-founded the studio with my friends in 2019. And before that, I worked at Ubisoft for 13 years. Um, I started in 2006. Um, let's see. So I guess a long version of that story is that I um, I studied political science in university because that's what was interesting to me. And then as I was graduating, I realized that I wasn't really sure what to do with a political science degree. <laughs> um, so uh, when I looked around, um, basically the two options I saw was getting into politics. So, you know, volunteering in elections and uh, that route or uh, a lot of my friends went into law school. And I was like, do I want to be a lawyer? And I talked to my friends who were in law school and I talked to my friends who were lawyers and everybody hated everything. Like everybody hated law school and everybody hated being a lawyer. I'm like, I'm not going to get into it. And this was in California when, you know, they were talking about, I'm not sure now, but at the time they were talking about they were having, there are too many lawyers. There are too many lawyers. It's not just California. That's the entire country. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like... Yeah, I think, I, I don't know, again, like this was like 20 years ago. So, but at the time they were like, California in particular had too many lawyers. 
um, I think even compared to everybody else. And so, yeah, so I was like, well, I don't want to get into this thing. Like, I want to, I don't want to go into tons of debt to go into a business that like everybody hates and isn't even guaranteed that I'm going to make money or have find a job. So I'm like, okay, so what am I going to do? And at that point, I really didn't know what to do. Um, I went back home to Japan for a few months to figure out, you know, maybe I wanted to get a job in Japan. Um, that didn't really work out. And my sister got into a car accident. So I came back to San Francisco to take care of my my sister for a few months. And while I was there, I took a temp job uh, because uh, working at a at an office that needed a bilingual Japanese English office worker. And that's then I was like, okay, well, I guess this is kind of the direction I'm going to go. So I had done some interpreting and translation. Uh, so I was like, well, I guess I'll try to find a job as a translator. And a friend of mine showed me the, a link to um, uh, uh, a Craigslist post because <laughs> this was 2006 and that's how you found jobs uh from Ubisoft looking for a translator. And I applied and they hired me. And that's that's kind of the how I ended up in the games industry. I had no intentions of working in video games. I had no, you know, I never thought that like that was something that was a possibility for me. Like, you know, I video games felt like one of those things like, oh, well, you know, like I'm sure somebody makes them, but like that's not like a job in the same way that like astronauts exist. But like, you know, that's not like a job, you know. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so it just kind of happened. And from there, my career has been kind of all over the place. I started off in third-party publishing. So I worked in the department that took Japanese games and uh, translated them and um, released them to the Western market. Uh, and I worked there for a few months. And then somebody from Montreal reached out saying, hey, we're making a game with uh, a Japanese comic book property, uh, Naruto. And so we need someone who's going to be the, you know, go between um, with the with the production team making the game and then the license holders, which were um, the a TV station and a publisher, a comic book publisher in Japan. So Shueisha and TV Tokyo. So you want to try that? And I, I was like, why not? And that was my first job within game production. So I moved to Montreal. Um, had never been to Montreal before. Didn't speak any French. Um, my expectation was I was going to ship this one game and then they were going to be done with this very obscure job. So I was going to go back to San Francisco. And now it's been 17 years. I'm still in Montreal. Um, I've done a lot of different things within game development. Um, I worked in... So that was my first job where it was kind of like a production editorial job initially um, because I was working with the team to make sure that the game was in line with like the 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 property of the of of the IP and uh, also you know we needed to be something that we could make so basically i would kind of negotiate with the license holders saying like well this is how it looks like in the show and we would be like oh well this is what we can 
realistically do in a video game and try to find like a compromise in between. Um, after that, I was an assistant to a couple of executive producers. I worked in marketing and social media. Uh, and eventually I landed in production management. Uh, I was a production manager on various different titles, uh, which, uh, so one of the things about production job titles is that even compared to other fields within the games industry, like the, there's zero consistency in terms of naming uh conventions for like the different kinds of jobs that are out there uh at ubisoft uh production manager is a uh person that manages a team uh i would say probably more like above seven people but below 20 below 30 uh of uh interdisciplinary teams for the most part but sometimes single discipline uh and yeah i did that for let's see between 2014 to 2019 for five years and then yeah and then now i've been with cut to bits for almost four years it's gonna be four years in in two months it's good to see that you have the same training going into production that I did that we, you know, grabbed other people and put them in there. It was like, well, you speak Japanese and we're doing this game from Japan. So now you're a producer. We did the very same thing. It was just like, okay, you can write a decent <laughs> evaluation of a game. So now you're a producer. What, before we get into a lot of the, you know, differences between working on big AAA teams and indie teams. I've had producers, students who were in school coming up to me and, and asking, he's like, so what do I need to do to be a good producer? And I think I'm going to guess you will agree to me in the with me in the fact that there are not enough good producers coming into the industry. What should your what should students do right now if they want to get into the production side of the industry? Oh no. I'm sorry. I I I have lost you. Did you miss all of it? Somehow. Okay. I think I can hear now. Okay. okay what would yeah, be, we're good. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So what would be can your you recommendation to students coming through school if they want to get into production? What should they be focusing on? What should they be learning along the way? Um, I think so. The thing about producer is that it's not really a job per se. It's actually uh, um, a kind of a catch-all term for a lot of different kinds of jobs. So depending on what kind of producer you want to be, um, the answer is quite different. Um, so just kind of to like throw some things out there, like basically you have people who are like, um, so within production management, I think there's like three big buckets of types of jobs. One is uh, project manager, which is kind of like more of like uh, what you would con like what looks more like a like a like a scrum master or like a software um, a software project manager. So they're they're they do task level management. So basically, they take uh, they take kind of bigger things and then break it down to individual things that get assigned to people. And then they follow up on those individual tasks being done. Um, and then you have kind of feature managers, which are 
people who are kind of more on a higher level looking at like, okay, so what features does this game need? You know, like how many, you know, how, how many shotguns or how many types of guns does this game need? How, uh, you know, what are the game modes that are going to be required? And then kind of working with the different teams to kind of deliver that. And then you have kind of more the people managers where are more about like, you know, uh, human resource management, uh, evaluations and kind of like uh, planning career growth for uh, the individuals. And that's that's kind of like the third type of uh, management position in in video games. And obviously, like uh, most jobs tend to be kind of combination of the three. Um, but a lot of times it doesn't necessarily have to be. So depending on which part of this that you want to do and also like which type of disciplines that you're interested in managing uh, really affects the kind of things that you need to know. So um, like if you want to be a tech focused project manager, like getting a project management degree would definitely help you. However, if you want to be like a more art focused people manager, that degree would not be as relevant. So, you know, like it really depends on kind of where you want to go and what you want to do. Um, as of now, I'm not aware of any like programs out there specifically for game producers. So that's not something that you can currently study. Um, I don't imagine anybody's really like, I don't, I don't know, who knows, maybe, maybe someone's like trying to put together a program like that. But I, I as far as I know, that's not really something that's out there. It, I, it does exist. I mean, they're, I know Full Sail has had one for many, many, oh, really? many years. Um, really, a produ producer program. I've they never have met a, anybody who's gone through that. <laughs> they have. Well, that that's a topic for another day. But the <laughs> we worked with. I was working with a studio in Florida about 10, 15 years ago, and they would pull their producers from the master's program, because you can actually get a master's degree in game production. Um, and the, I will say the ones that I worked with are, I am still friends with to this day. They are fantastic producers. They are working, all of them that I worked with are working on AAA studios right now. Um, but we're starting to see more and more of it. There's like 300 or so colleges and universities in the U.S. that have some sort of game degree. Yeah, but that's, very that's definitely few of them have a the production place, yeah. degree. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think it's, I mean, I didn't even know there were any. So yeah, that's, that's already a surprise to me. Well, I didn't know, I, I still don't think there's any business degrees for games, but that's why we do this <laughs> show. So yeah, <laughs> at some point, somebody for is sure. going to figure out that that's going to be necessary. So, so yeah, I question. guess, I guess that's the, that's a genuinely, a, a, a real route, but to be honest, I think there's a lot to be gained from getting a, like a, you know, um, especially if you're if you want to be more on the nuts and bolts of things of video games like getting a like a um, production management degree in uh, computer programming is definitely that's definitely an option so do the secondary titles and courses like you know a PMP or scrum master are those relevant to our industry are those things that people should be looking at or is it going to vary greatly between the studios and how they do things i th it does vary greatly uh, depending on the studio for sure and depending and 
in some studios, it will depend on the project to project. At Ubisoft Montreal, pretty much every every project kind of functioned like a like its own company and had very different practices uh, from a production standpoint. There were some things that were more standardized, like for example, everybody used like uh, you know uh, 3ds Max, uh, everybody used Jira. Uh, but like, you know, beyond that, like there were there was definitely a lot of different ways that uh, projects were managed. Even in the even in the same project, you know, they would they would shift the way that like they would organize the project. Like I worked on Rainbow Six Siege, and I worked on it uh, before and after the game came out. And the needs of project management uh, for a game pre-release is very different than uh, the needs of uh, a game after it launches. So they kind of had to reorganize the way that the, you know, they were, uh, they were planning and uh, managing the project. So that sort of thing happens as well. Um, that being said, uh, I think getting some kind of certification or going through some kind of coursework in project management is very helpful. Um, because even if like you're in a context in which like everything is going to be completely different, like, um, having one set of tools is going to allow you to understand another set of tools much easier than starting from scratch. If that makes any sense. Yes. So let's look at the, the very high level here from going from rainbow six siege and, and these projects at Ruby Montreal to what you're doing now. What are some of the biggest differences that you need to adjust to going from project managing a team of 500 down to a team of 10? So I think the biggest difference between, um, you know, like a small indie team and a large AAA team in terms of like a project management standpoint is that like um, on a team of 10, like the need, like the, the communication needs are much smaller. You know, like we have, like basically we have whole departments that are one person. So like there's no need for interdepartmental communication. Even like our art team is probably the biggest one and that's the art director and four level artists and some uh, uh, some part-time contractors. Sorry, I thought I was going to sneeze. <laughs> so the really the only needs that on a small title like that is to kind of have like a clear idea in terms of like um uh big milestone planning. So like hey, we want to be done with this section of the game by this time. Um, that's really what you need to communicate. And in and what also you need to communicate is just the priorities. Like we're going to do A before B before C. And to make sure that everybody's on the same page for that. Um, on a bigger team, you need obviously need all of that as well. But like the biggest needs that you're covering as a project manager is interdepartmental communication. So like... Oh, um, because like uh, on a on a on a big AAA title, you have like the group of directors that decide like, okay, so we want to have this feature, and then that feature needs to be broken down into uh, into deliverables by the different teams. Like for example, um, 
let's say you want to have a shotgun in a game. So the directors decide, okay, well, we want a shotgun. And then that gets handed to the uh, to multiple different teams to make that happen. So the modeling team needs to model the shotgun. You need uh, so they get the tasks for that. Uh, the animation team needs to animate the shotgun. So they they need to have reload animation. They need to have shooting animation. They need to have um, all the like you know uh, equipping and unequipping and all the all the other kinds of animation that you need. Uh, and then you have to have and then you have the uh, the gameplay programmers that basically program all the parameters in which like the 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 gun. Uh, functions like for example spread uh rate of fire um you know uh, uh all the different uh, all the parameters that the, that gun needs and then you have game designers kind of tweaking those parameters and making sure that the game feels good and it's well balanced and then you also have vfx and sound effects uh making sure that the, those are linked up to the to the gun as well those are like all different departments that are managed by different people and have multiple people in the team. So like basically just making that happen on a AAA uh, title requires a lot of people talking to each other and making sure that they're all delivering stuff at the right time in the, in the right order. And that's the kind of like, uh, that's the kind of like needs that doesn't really exist in a, in a, in an indie context. Um, another need that doesn't really exist uh, is, um, you know, uh, if, if you're working in a, in a team that it, the director is also the principal uh, developer of that discipline, there, there's not a lot of back and forth between like, hey, the director wants this and uh, the developer saying like, oh, well, that's not really possible. Um, on a larger team, basically, let's say like, okay, well, you want a sh- you want a shotgun, so um, that feature needs to be vetted by game design, art, uh, uh, art modeling, uh, animation, sound, and VFX to make sure that the direction that they want, like the type of, you know, the the type of feel and the type of like look that they're trying to achieve for that shotgun is achievable, and. Um, there's a lot of like back and forth and negotiations for that and to kind of compromise to make sure that like they're delivering something the director is happy with, but also something that's achievable. So there's there, that doesn't really exist in the indie context either because like the person delivering is the person that's, you know, has the idea. So um, I think those are the kind of the two. Uh, oh, and then the third aspect is visibility. Because, like, basically, you have a lot of management layer that want to see how the project is going on a AAA title. So there's a lot of, like, you know, charts and um, uh, reports that need to be generated to make sure that you are on target. So, you know, the executive producer can sleep at night. Um, that's something that doesn't really exist in a, in an indie context. So that's, I think those three major areas is the difference, uh, at least from a production management standpoint between like a 10 person team and a 500 person team. Less meetings, less middle management, less reports. Yeah. All right. So we've got a question 
from Amanda on the Discord. Any advice on how project managers and producers can go from a very tiny studio project to a medium-sized studio project or even AA or AAA and adapt to the bigger project size? Um, I feel like there's... I mean, this is kind of like learning how to swim. At one point, you need to get into the water and start swimming. Hopefully, you have somebody that will be there to make sure that you don't drown. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like there, there's no gently kind of learning this. Um, the, you know, like there's things like shadowing. There's, you know, there's things like, you know, having a buddy, you know, uh, like a, a mentorship buddy kind of situation to make sure that you have someone to talk to. But like, there's certain things that you just like, like it's much easier to just see and learn rather than somebody try to teach you. But, but let's so be clear. I think that's kind of the chances of there being that person there to teach you to swim is very low. <laughs> I mean, depends on the company. I, I feel like I was, I was pretty fortunate. I, I had some people that definitely, uh, uh, that helped me out. But uh, yeah, I think this is why like mentorships are really important. And this is why like, you know, networking is really important. Um, have a, you know, have a group of peers that you can talk to about your problems, you know, because somebody like somebody has encountered your problem and solved it already. You don't have to like, there's like, there's zero reward to coming up with a novel solution to a, a a previously solved problem like nobody cares like you don't get a you don't get a cookie for that so like this isn't a test like cheat away like try to find somebody else that has already figured it out and do the same thing that's that's 100 the easier solution than like trying to figure it out on your own so and my advice is like make friends and uh ideally make friends with people who you know, like the thing is like, you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, reach out to people who are like so far removed from where you are that like their, idea, uh, their answers are going to be kind of disconnected with what's happening right now. So you, you want to ask people who have recently solved this problem rather than someone who like solved this problem 20 years ago, because uh, their answers may or may not be relevant for you. <laughs> Um, all right, so there's two resources for you, Amanda, as well. One, our YouTube page has an entire playlist of conversations and interviews and sessions and stuff that we've done with producers. And then two, there is the Game Production Community Discord server as well, who is run by Junie, and she is fantastic and awesome. If you can't get the answers in our Discord, you can absolutely get them there as well. So I um, I also run an indie producer Discord. Oh, you do? Uh, as well, yes. Do you um, have the link? It's, uh, sig- uh, I do. I don't have a link for it, but I do have a link for the application form because it is a closed Discord. But uh, uh, let's see, where is it? Where's my Google Forms? pop it up when you get a chance uh, and, we'll, and we'll put that out there too because yes this this is stuff that it's not always taught and we want people to know it and understand it um 
Okay, where where do I where do I post this? You post uh, it in the private chat, and that yeah, way, yeah, in case yeah. you're blocked from posting, uh, Pebs can bump it up to you. So yeah, this is it's just a Google form. Uh, uh, our so I think the difference between our Discord and Junie's Discord is Junie is uh, I think uh, much kinder, uh, much uh, much more open person than I am, um, and uh, they'll let. Um, anyone who's interested in production uh, join the Discord, whereas we're uh, we're like, oh well, we don't want to explain the job to people who aren't producers, so we pretty much only uh, limit it to people who are currently in the production field or in adjacent uh, in adjacent jobs within the games industry. It's more mostly the... because we. Yeah, it's we do like we definitely get into the like the more nitty gritty of the I think um, uh, production questions rather than like hey how do I try to like how do I get a job in the games industry which I I don't know I can never I feel like that question is just like well I mean I guess I I do sort of know um, that's that's why I've done seven roundtables with uh, work with indies to try to answer that question. <laughs> So yeah, depends is the answer to that one, I guess. Yes, it it, it depends. The uh, <laughs> first question is: Are you sure you want a job in this industry before we even get to? <laughs> well, that that's uh, yeah. That I I don't I don't feel that question like that. That is something that you need to figure out on your own. I will not get involved in your you know good or bad life decisions. <laughs> 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 oh, all right. So the next question coming in here. How does community feedback impact your road mapping or game direction? Like mine specifically? Or like in uh, the how does that impact like kind of game production and, and as a whole? Let's start with yours. Oh, I guess I'll do both. Go to... <laughs> Ours, nothing. Like we... We're an indie game. We're making our game, and uh, that's uh, we we have fairly limited time and budget. Um, we can make slight pivots, but like it is going to be what it's going to be, and hopefully people will like it. <laughs> and I think that's kind of typical in like I, I don't know. I think that that's. I think some indie games are like that. Other indie games are more like, oh well, we can we can kind of work with community feedback. Um, uh, when I worked on live games, it was very different. So basically, um, when you when you have a game that's already out and like hundreds of thousands of millions of people are playing the game, you already know what people like and what don't like about it. So basically, you figure out like what you need to do with the game based on what players are saying and what players are experiencing. Like, you know, what about the game is not working? You know, what is resulting in players kind of dropping the game? What is resulting in players being dissatisfied with the game? You know, and you try to you try to address that and or you focus on things that... Hold on just a second. Hey, hey guys, I'm in an interview. Indie game business 
has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. Sorry, uh, there are other people in the studio that got a little bit animated. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, in terms of like uh, the roadmap, you know, like, um, yeah, you do you do really look at uh, player feedback and determine um, what needs to be done. Um, obviously, that has to be balanced with like tech debt, like all the things that you need to do that nobody wants but needs to be done um but uh yeah so it's kind of a it's kind of a balancing act of what needs to be done uh from a technical standpoint what needs to be done from a business standpoint and what what needs to be done from a you know a player satisfaction standpoint it's those damn business people that's what it is that's the that's the problem the... i mean games are a business you got to make money you know you got you got to keep the lights on Yes, and that's what we tell people. If you want to make games for art, you don't need to listen to us. Congratulations, do your thing. If you want to actually make a career, you probably need to learn a little bit about the business side. Um, yeah. All right. If you if you want to pay your rent, you want to make yes. sure that you you have a profitable business. <laughs> well, I mean, profitable stretching it, but you know. <laughs> I mean, it, pro it has to be profitable. If you're losing, if you're not making money, you're losing money. So. We have to tackle one thing at a time, you know. Like when folks say we're a nonprofit <laughs> industry, like I'm like, largely, most of us, largely most of us are nonprofits. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so we we do have one of these souls that we need to take a deeper look at their life decisions for whether or not they are are good or bad. Uh, Brenda says, "I'm currently a project manager outside of games, trying to make the transition into game dev. If you could choose your path and start over." Do you think AAA or indie is a better learning environment to start with? That's a good question. Um, I think it depends on the person. Uh, in my case, uh, AAA was a great place to learn the business because I was able to um, I was able to see what different aspects of the game uh, uh, of game development look like. I worked in publishing. I worked in localization. I worked in marketing. I worked in um, uh, a lot of different departments, uh, uh, including maps, animation, uh, you know, modeling, uh, UI, um, and that allowed me to have a very broad understanding of of the of game development. But also, uh, it was all. The, all the jobs were very specialized, so I was able to kind of have these like kind of deep dives that shifted 
over the years. So I I have a very strong understanding uh, of game development because it I didn't have a broad job this whole time. It's I had very specific jobs consecutively. Um, and I think that's really the benefit of AAA. And I think the other benefit of AAA is that um, there is definitely more uh, knowledge base that could be shared to you. Like if you're working in a large studio, there are going to be other managers. And the other managers hopefully have more experience than you do. <laughs> and they can teach you a thing or two. Um, in, small indie uh, in small indie companies, if... If there's a producer, there's one producer and there's nobody else out there. So there's nobody that can really teach you how to do your job or even answer your questions. So that's that's very challenging. Um, so I think that's kind of... Uh, but so I think I tend to say like I think AAA is generally a better place to learn how to make video games than, than indie. Um, it tends to be more economically stable. Um, it tends to have things like benefits. Uh, <laughs> um, and whereas indie, you just kind of have to learn on your own. Like, you know, the, I think there's certain people that do really well in, in the environment. But uh, you really have to be someone that is able to find answers on your own. Um, and and figure things out rather than like being told what to do and then doing it. So I guess, you know, you have to look at who you are as a person and what you need to grow. And I think that's how you should determine whether or not AAA or indie is the better uh, place for you to learn. That being said, your first games industry job is going to be a very difficult one to land. So I think whoever that's willing to hire you is going to be, it's going to be the, probably the, the, the factor to determine where you learn how to do the, do the, do the, do the thing <laughs> is going to be. All right. So follow up on that then where, because I have my own opinions and experience with this question as well. Where do you see, new producers being pulled from uh can you and what what do you mean like how how do people become new producers like yes. where are they coming from yes um uh i see a lot of new producers coming from either adjacent fields so they are either uh, project managers in tech or um you know any other kind of field doing project managing things um i see people who are within the games industry that decide that they want to leave their discipline and they want to do uh, production management instead um you see you see a lot of QA people going production route, but you also see everything else. Like I, you know, I have a good friend who was in recruitment before they are uh before they became a producer. I know, you know, people who were like animators or uh even programmers that became uh producers. So I think that's kind of like the two things that you see either non-producer non-production people deciding that they want to do production instead or um 
uh, project management people uh, moving in from uh, adjacent adjacent industries? So, yeah, I mean, all of ours back in the day when I was working on the publishing side, we were a small publisher too. It's not like, and this was also 15, 20 years ago. So truly the thought of having any sort of production related education was no, no, it just didn't happen. But we almost exclusively pulled the people who could, could communicate the best in QA or our evaluation system. Those were the ones that got pulled in. Um, because it was everything was so much so based on on communication now production today is so much more detailed and complex than it was 15 20 years ago but that's that's why i was curious because that's where we always pulled them from um this i've i've heard that like qa to producer pipeline you know like and i'm not saying that that's not a thing but i've definitely i don't think it's 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 a thing more than anything else i think it's kind of overblown I think there's a lot of people who go into production through other fields like, um, you know, like game design, uh, like you name it. Like, uh, you know, when I talk to other producers, like a lot of them come from uh, a a development uh, background in something else. And uh, they decided one way, one reason or the other that they, they wanted to go into production instead. So I think that's that's a lot more common than I think people think. Well, that's good. That means the industry is evolving past the point that we were back then, where I can't even <laughs> say for certain that the people that we turned into producers wanted to be producers. They were just made producers because we needed one at, at any given time. Yeah. But no, it's it's wonderful that we are seeing more variation people want to be that. producers now which i think is interesting i feel like 10 years ago when i said like i want to be a producer people kind of were like why would you want to be a producer I whereas like i'm now meeting students students that are like i want to be a producer i'm like mm-hmm. this is new like before before when i met students nobody wanted to be a producer but now now it's increasingly becoming a thing I was a producer and then an executive producer. And as soon as I was able to divulge myself of those responsibilities, I did it. And because that's not my, <laughs> not, not my basic fun time. Uh, all right. So one of the points that you brought up when we were talking earlier, was it before the show that I'm very interested in hearing your take on is dealing with real problems versus invented problems. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. So one of the things I really love about my current job is that we only deal with real problems um, and real problems in game development are things like money, uh, you know, resources and how do we make this feature? So they're like, they're like problems that if you don't solve, like you just can't make the game. Um, and when I used to work in AAA, there were a lot of invented problems. Um, and invented problems are when like somebody from HQ decided that they, you know, they want to change the game somehow. Like there was no concrete reason it needed to happen. Like there wasn't like a play test that said like this game will not sell. It's just that somebody or a group of somebody's decided that they we we want a game that's not the main that's currently not the game uh, that's not the game that you're currently making, 
or you get a director type person that says like, hey, I know this feature doesn't work, but I want it anyway, because I, you know, it's Tuesday and I don't know. That's what I feel like on Tuesday. Um, That's the seagulling when they fly and shit on your project and fly away. Yeah. So that's the kind of like invented problems I think that uh, exists in like AAA that exist less in indie. Um, mostly because we don't have the resources to really like accommodate it. <laughs> but there's also a lot less like um, what my team calls talkers versus a doer. Like um, we intentionally decided that we don't want to grow the studio to the point where we have dedicated directors. We want to remain small enough that our directors are also our principal developer in a field. So like our art director is also the principal artist. Our, uh, our creative director is the principal writer and principal designer. Our lead programmer is the principal programmer. So that way that if somebody wants something and also we're, uh, the decision-making in our, in our, uh, decision-making in our studio is also very flat. We basically discuss things and we try to come to a consensus, uh, to, to, to move on. Um, if we can't get into a, uh, if we can't get to a consensus, the person that owns that discipline is ultimately the person that, uh, makes a decision on the feature or subject because that person who, you know, took the last call is essentially the, you know, is also the buck holder, like the, you know, they're going to be the one that has to ship that type, uh, that feature. So if they say that that's the way that they want to do it, then, you know, ultimately they're, they're the ones that are going to have to do that. So that's kind of the way that we kind of organize our company to not have a situation where people can invent problems for other people. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's difficult because like, I think, I understand where the the issue comes from in a larger company because you do have things like global strategy uh, decisions. You have things like, you know, market research. Um, and not all invented problems are actually invented problems. Some Sometimes things that seem like invented problems are coming from actual data. But uh, frequently there are a lot of flippant people that, you know, makes people's lives very difficult in AAA. I'm not sitting over here giggling and laughing the entire time because I've seen all of this happen. So yes, don't don't mind me. Um, all right, so Calix from Twitch says, how does production impact game design from your experience? And then he follows up with, large companies have structures from experience too, right? Like rules and processes. Um, how does production impact game design? Um, I think production impacts game development in general in the context that we're here to provide the goalposts. Um, basically, we say, you know, uh, based on uh, cost analysis, this is possible or this is not possible. Or based on cost, uh, you know, like we'll do a cost analysis and say, like, this is a very expensive feature. Can you justify the player benefit 
to justify this very expensive feature. And I think that's kind of the major way in which production impacts game design. It's not that production is impacting game design. We're just trying to give context to the decisions. Like, like, is this really the decision you want to make based on based on the knock-on effects that we project based on what you're what 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 you've suggested? So it's not that production is really impacting game design. It's just reality, or at least what we estimate reality to be impacting game design. Everybody's different version of reality when it comes to all of that. Is that easier to manage? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, the thing is, like, you know, it, estimating things, uh, estimating things you've done before is very easy. Estimating things that you haven't done before is difficult. But that means, you know, so obviously nothing has been completed so it's not going to be the reality but you do try to like approximate it as to to the best of your knowledge and i think that's kind of you know that's that's kind of the the art and <laughs> of of production trying to do your best to come up with a answer that is as close as possible to what's going to actually happen so would your this is one of those problems that it less happens in a smaller studio because you're much more visibly accountable for everything that you do versus in a larger studio where you do have, like you said, people from management or something to come in and go, okay, I know this isn't going to work, but I really, really want it in the game. What steps and what processes do you need to go through to basically cover your ass? In an indie context or just in general? In the bigger, in a bigger studio. Um, in a bigger studio, basically, I mean, there's there's two kinds of, like, we can't do that. There's one is, like, technically what you're asking for is impossible in our game. Um, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, uh, like, you, uh, you, want, you want an enemy character that's bigger than the doorframe, for example. Like, you know, and that's, that's... That basically, you know, we say like, well, that that that's beyond our metrics. That breaks the game, so we can't do that. And then there's stuff like, well, we can do that. It's very expensive. Um, I think the best way to really kind of make sure that you're covering all your bases is that you you clearly communicate what the consequences of the decisions are. And you basically have the director sign off on the consequences. So you say like, okay, well, if you do this, this is our projected results. Are you okay with that? Um, and like, are you willing to like take responsibility for this projected result? And that way, you know, if, if it does explode and you anticipate it to explode it's not on you it's on them and, and get all of that in an email chain written somewhere oh yeah for sure everything yeah. has to be written so or at least video recorded there needs to be a record of this somewhere yeah there's a 
but that being said, even if there is a record, you know, like they'll, I mean, there's different ways where they can, they can screw you anyway. But <laughs> So were you still working at Ubi when COVID hit or had you already moved no. on? No, we, uh, I started in August of 2019. So I have been indie for the entirety of uh, the COVID right. pandemic. One of the things I was curious about, and we've got about 10 more minutes here. So if anybody's out there listening, if you're in Discord or if you're on one of the streaming things, pop a question in if you got it. Um, how does managing like a studio that you're all together differ from managing something where you're in a distributed remote working environment and what sort of tools have you seen being used? Um, there's a lot of different tools that people are using. Um, our studio, we use primarily discord. Um, because it just seemed to work the best for us. Uh, um, Initially, we were we tried out uh, Slack, but um, the main reason Slack we dropped Slack was because the the screen share in Slack was just too horrible. Like in 2020, like you couldn't actually play a game and share your screen on Slack and have any kind of like reasonable feedback because like you get like five frames a second which in game development is just not it's it was a non-starter so we're like okay well well, we can't use slack um so i guess i guess we'll just use discord and that's kind of how we ended up with discord um in terms of the rest of the communication it's going to be things like jira confluence um you know uh, we have we had a lot of documentation in our uh, Google Drive, but we're trying to move out of that. We're trying to be more confluence uh, centric. Um, in terms of, I think the the biggest challenge in a in a distributed team is that um, you have to make sure that everyone's on the same page, and that's been a challenge. Um, uh, because before they just kind of did on their own because they were all sit sitting next to each other. Um, so I think what we've done is we, we have, we have a lot more meetings than we did before. Um, we have very specific meetings, uh, where we say like, okay, well, we need to sync up on this subject every week at this time. Um, because it's easy to just kind of not do that. Uh, we also have um, what we call like co-working hours. So we have two hours every other day, so six hours a week uh, of co-working co period. And that's basically a period when we're, that's dedicated to, uh, to being available for other people to uh, help you on something. So that way, like, because the issue was that some people felt very awkward asking for people to help them on something. Uh, or people felt like they were constantly being interrupted and weren't able to really get into a flow state. So basically by having like a dedicated period in which like, hey, this is this is the period where you're supposed to ask for help. Um, it lowered the kind of the threshold for reaching out and also um, lowered the, the frustration um, because basically at the, at the top of that hour, so for us, it's from two to four. So at two o'clock, everybody has to show up on discord and saying like, Hey, okay, it's a co-working session. 
does anybody need anybody's anybody's help? And if if nobody says yes, then everybody just goes back to what they're doing. If somebody needs help, then they can ask for help right there. And uh, it gets resolved. Uh, we also have like a specific channel on Discord where uh, it's the tickets channel. So you basically tag somebody if you need, you know, if you need someone's help uh, sooner than every other day, then that's that's where you're uh, that's where you can uh, poke somebody, and then they generally get back to you within a couple hours or whatever. So that's kind of the way that we we handle things. So when you do the co-working times, are you doing that with video live, or is it just everybody's around? No, we just everybody just goes into a video uh, into a voice chat, and usually, like it's it's not it doesn't. What happens is everybody shows up, and then whoever needs help says that they need help, and everybody else leaves. So, like two or three people will remain, but like everybody else just goes back to doing what they're doing. So, like it's a time block, but at the same time, it's like it just means that don't schedule meetings during that time because yeah. you might be called. But you don't necessarily have to sit there for two hours if no one needs anything. No, no, almost nobody does. I mean, sometimes they do, but like that's because there was like a, a big thing that they needed to solve together. So, but it's pretty unusual. On the subject of meeting times, I mean, and, and we all have been in situations where we see more time going into meetings than actually getting done doing the things that the meetings are for. How do you go about prioritizing, okay, this is worthy of a meeting, this is worthy of the co-working time, or this is just something that can be solved in an email? Um, we don't have meetings unless we need it. Like, unless they're, like, the meetings only are generated to solve a problem. Like, we don't preemptively make a meeting. Like, if we have a consistent production issue saying, like, every single time we need to do this, we, uh, it's, we're wasting time because we didn't, like, sit down and talk about it for 20 minutes, then we'll schedule a meeting. So I think the way that we reduce the number of meetings is that we wait until a problem happens and then solve it rather than try to be too vigorous about anticipating problems. Um, I also, uh, believe in smaller meetings. Um, uh, and, uh, I try to keep, um, meetings. I try to exclude everyone, uh, who is not directly involved in the meeting. Uh, because the bigger the meeting, the, the more time you waste. So that's kind of the two, two factors for me, uh, in terms of standups and sprint planning. Um, uh, we don't actually do sprint planning. I'm not sure if that's good advice, but like, I don't, we don't function like that as a team. Um, our deliverables are more, so we're making a 2D platformer. So everything is kind of level based. So everybody's like, it's, we don't really need sprints because we know what everyone is working on and everyone's priorities are pretty straightforward. And Sometimes things take more than two weeks. So that's what I don't really like about sprints. Um, because sometimes it doesn't really make any sense to like break something down on a two-week level. Um, we do plan, like we do project and we do look at velocity, but we don't we don't necessarily break it down on a on a like a like 
for example, like when I assign a level to a level artist, like they're on that level until they're done. Like it's not like the next two weeks you're going to work on quadrant A and next three, uh, two weeks you're going to work on quadrant B. That's not how we work. So, and it works for us. Um, and it reduces again, like kind of overhead management overhead. Um, and it reduces friction from a development standpoint. So it works for us, but again, like it really depends on the team. Like I'm not saying that standups are bad, like standups are very necessary, especially in larger teams. Um, we do have, uh, uh, no, I mean, uh, sprints, sprints are really necessary on larger teams. We do have two standups uh, a week um, in the beginning of the week where everybody goes over what, they, what they're working on that week and at the end of the week where we show off what we worked on. Um, I think th those are the only times the whole team really gets together and talks to each other. So I think it's really important, not just from a, like a production standpoint, but kind of a team cohesion standpoint. So um, those are the only uh, we have two hand, uh, all hands meetings a week, and I think that's that's a good thing since uh, we're we are remote, and it's it's hard to kind of get that feeling as a team without it. Uh, we have one, but I mean we're not making games either. I mean we're running a consulting firm in this indie game business chaos that I, I, I started. But I agree. It's like if you don't have if you don't need to have a meeting don't we we sit down at the first of the week and say okay this is what's going on this is an update you know new clients whatever this is what we need to be working on and then i trust my team they go do their magic and i don't have to micromanage anybody so we've got time for i was checking the chat and discord to see if somebody was coming up with a question um we got time for one more if someone has a big question but once again, let's go and we're going to post the wish list. Is there anything else that you want to plug, you want to talk about before we bounce? Um, uh, I guess the, the only thing we want to plug is Venture to the Vial. Uh, our game has been announced and it is now available on uh, Steam to wishlist. So please, uh, yeah, please go to Steam and wishlist it because uh, that will definitely help us with the algorithms and all of that. So... It's a pretty Drop cool game. Chat too. There we go. I think. I mean, I, I've been working on it for three years, so, <laughs> and I, I think it's worth it. So yeah, I certainly you, am biased, but uh, do you get to the point after a game is launched? And I have been guilty of this for a long time, especially with the number of projects I've been involved in. Where by the time it launches and it's out there in the wild, you're just like, okay, I'm ready for the next thing. I can't deal with looking at that anymore. Or is it something that you still continue to, to nurture and be involved in? Um, I've I've never played a game I've worked on after launch. I haven't either. Once, <laughs> like I I've never had any desire to do so. Um, for the most part, it's because I've I, I generally don't play games that I've completed either. So it's not like like I specifically don't like games that I've worked on. It's just that uh, I know the game inside and out. So mm -hmm. I there's no you know like there's no <laughs> surprise. And I feel like I you know part of the reason I play video games is for the novelty. I'm also not a like a multiplayer person, so that's why I also don't play like 
you know, like I think like with multiplayer, it, it could be different. You know, like if I was into shooters, I can imagine like playing a game that I completed because like or I worked on because like you know every match is going to be different. But uh, since I don't really play multiplayer games, like yeah, I generally don't play games that I work on. Awesome, well, Masao. Thank you so much for coming on and, and giving that guidance. And you're on Twitter. There's the link. Obviously, you're on our Discord. You've got the, the fantastic guest of the show tag. So you're in yellow up there on the side now. Um, but with that, yeah, we've got two more weeks of podcasts coming up before I skip out to Europe for businesses and a little bit of vacation in the meantime, too. So we're going to have a little bit of a break. Um, but aside from that, thank you once again to Tripwire Presents. Join us back here next Friday. If you're not on the Discord, it's discord.gg slash indie game business. Or you can just go to linktree slash indie game business to links to everything. Um, and with that, awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Wish us our game. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.